This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. At one time or another, most architects think about opening their own office. There are all sorts of reasons why this makes sense, but it obviously isn't the right path for everyone. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about both. Welcome to episode 73, Being Your Own Boss. Today's episode is brought to you with support from BQE Core Architect, cloud-based software for time and expense tracking, billing, and accounting. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of being your own boss and what that might mean. And I know that Andrew and I, you know, we have these run sheets that we put together so that we can kind of, I'm so prone to telling stories on stories about a story that turns into another story. Next thing you know, I haven't (laughs) told one complete story. So I do these run sheets so I can create little trail of crumbs to help me remember what the point of what I'm supposed to be talking about is. And so we had a chat the other night about what topics we might actually be covering. And they came fast and furious. We're talking about this, pow, and that, pow, and this, and boom. We all did it. Because Andrew's been, he's been his own boss for pretty much almost his entire professional career, really. Yeah, the majority of it, for sure. And then I'm on the exact opposite side. I was never my own boss. But then I got pretty close to it at my last office. Like, I pretty much did whatever I wanted. But there were some things that I didn't have control over. If we were going to talk about those specifics, like if we were going to talk about how to choose the best insurance for your office, I have nothing to offer. (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, exactly. But there's other things that I can talk about because I've seen it from both sides. So we came up with a list. So we're going to hit on things like flexibility, like work life, personal life, setting your own calendar and schedule, things like that. We're going to talk money because everybody wants to talk about money. This should just be told. Life of an architect that talks money. That we could do a podcast topic on that every time. And that's what, that's what people want to know the most. Money. Sure. Decision responsibility. That sounds very vague, and it is on purpose. But it won't be when we get into the pros and cons of it. But it has to do with who gets to call the shots. Because sometimes that's an issue when you work in a big firm and you're not the person, right? You're not the decision maker. And then like things like design direction too. We're going to get into the pros and cons of, of that. Because it it figures in like selling work and not selling work. And what kind of standards do you want to hold yourself out to? And when you have these ideals, you're not getting any projects. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's results of like sometimes drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is what I'm going to do. So those are kind of the four big ones. We might squeeze another one or two and we'll see how we get on time. Does that sound right? Yeah. And I'm sure we'll manage to kind of blend them all together in some fashion at some point. Well, what I'm curious about is at the end, if we'll go after our 45 minute conversation, if we both say, you know what, now that I've brought all this up to the surface, being your own boss is definitely a pro or a con. Like, you know, like, yeah, we can make a decision. Is there an answer to this? I'm sure there is, but it's individual. Yeah. I'm going to predict, of course, there's an answer to this, but it really depends on the person. Exactly. But I'm going to go ahead and say that my answer will be mostly right, regardless <laughs> of who you are. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get into it. Let's get with the first one. Okay. Being your own boss. Pro. You get flexibility. You are in control of your schedule and your work-life balance now. 
that's clearly a pro. Yeah, certainly. Maybe one of the biggest. I think that's why it's good to hit first, because I think that may be the biggest pro. Yeah. Maybe that's not a huge deal if you work in a small office to start with, because I think smaller offices still allow a great deal of flexibility. But I think once the office starts to reach a certain size, that your flexibility starts to get limited. You start to be more of a cog in a way, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So when we kind of talked about that, my first reaction was being a small firm guy for the most part. I was like, I never, ever had issues with my schedule or my work-life balance, ever. If I needed to be somewhere, I was there. Mm -hmm. I could show up when I wanted. I could leave when I wanted. Because, I don't know, the small firm mentality, certainly the sole proprietor mentality, is if you got to work from 10 to 1 in the morning, then you will. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, you still have to get your work done, but you don't necessarily have to be chained to your desk and punch the clock and be here at 8 o'clock a.m. on the dot and be here until 5 o'clock p.m. on the dot. That was never my experience working in a small firm. Yeah. How, however, <laughs> I don't work in a small firm anymore. Yeah. And I don't notice any difference. <laughs> <laughs> and it may just be that I'm blessed to be in a fairly lofty position in the office. Well, I was going to say, I think that probably has to do with your status maybe more yeah. than anything at this point yeah. in your career. Well, I don't have to test it very much either. You know, I'm also blessed with the fact that you know, my wife also gets to call her own shots. And so if we had an instance where, say, my daughter has to go to the, to the doctor or to the orthodontist or whatever the case may be, my wife's like, I got it. And she would just go do it. So I never was taxed with that burden to go do it. Like I could, and I did at times, but I wasn't the default. If there was a dentist appointment, the default is my wife will bring her. Unless my wife doesn't want to or can't, then I would, and I would happily do it. Yeah. That's still true now, though, right? Even more so with COVID, because my wife works permanently out of the house now, so. But I think, you know, for a different perspective for me as a single parent, that sort of starts to be really important, and I'm noticing, like, at times I get frustrated with my current teaching position, because I'm not really my own boss, and I can't just go, my kid's got something to do today, I'll see you guys later. You keep working while I'm going to go do something else. Let me throw out the equivalent non-teaching version of that. So my firm's 100 plus people now. I have meetings nonstop every day. And when you're the guy calling the meetings or leading the meetings, I can't just not be there. I can't not show up because if all of a sudden they said, hey, your daughter has a doctor's appointment tomorrow, I'm going to go, well, I got meetings set up. I got 20 people coming in all these meetings and I can't just like punt them out. Like if I don't have enough yeah. notice ahead of time, now that is the difference. If you give me two weeks notice, I can move anything I need to move and I can make my schedule be whatever I need it to be. Yeah. If you give me like a day or two notice, good luck, right? Like, yeah, maybe as a small practitioner, right? I still had the ability to do that if it was even short notice, right? I could have somebody else manage those things while I, I had to go deal with it. Well, okay, since we're, we're kind of, we should point out that we're really talking about sole proprietor versus owning a small firm, even though obviously sole proprietors can grow into small firms and experience these same issues. Do you think the difference would be, as a sole proprietor, the reason why short notice may not be an issue for you and your schedule is because you don't have that many projects to begin with? And it could be. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But as a sole proprietor, you may not be juggling quite as many projects because you're responsible for like all of the work. So, you, you know, you may be taking on sort of less of a, 
maybe not less of a workload. I mean, you're still working a lot, but yeah, different amount of projects. And so all those meetings that you have every day, like as you, right, someone who's juggling more projects or somebody even that's got a small to mid-sized firm where if you're the owner, the boss, you're still juggling quite a few projects at one time that could keep you in meetings all day long. Yeah. It's the meeting issue because even though the sole proprietor is busy, they're not busy in meetings all day long. They're busy doing billing and accounting and drawing and designing and detailing and, you know, all the things that are just grinded out. You can put your headphones on and just go to it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You might have like our good friend, Eric Reinhold. He has the ability to say, well, I'm only going to do this in the mornings and I'm only going to do that in the afternoons. Yeah. Wildly unrealistic in a firm that's 100 people when I have 30 people working on my projects. I can't, I don't have that luxury. I can't make that happen. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about the cons because it kind of seems like we're already doing it. You know, you may end up always working as a sole proprietor, right? Yeah. I think that's an easy trap to fall into. Granted, we just mentioned Eric and he doesn't really, he's really structured about that and doesn't fall into that. But I think as a sole proprietor, it's very easy, even as a small firm owner, to fall into that pit of constantly being in work mode. Maybe that's born out of that flexibility. Like you said earlier about, well, if you get your work done from 10 at night to one in the morning, you're still getting your work done. That stuff may tend to happen more often because you can let it happen. Yeah. I would imagine that. I mean, that talks a little bit to the work-life balance, but if you sit there and think, I have X number of jobs that if I had staff, I could have three people designing, drawing, detailing, and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But I also have to sell work, and I sit on the school board design review committee, and I sit on my local AIA publications committee, and I make lunch for my kids in the morning. Like All the things that you do literally means you are working all the time. Yeah. There is no, hey, when I leave the office, things are still advancing because I got a small army of people working with me to accomplish my goals. If you're not doing it, it ain't getting done. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think also maybe it goes back to some, and I can't remember what episode that you were complaining about it, or maybe it was just in general. But You mean speaking articulately about <laughs> it. <laughs> I was being nice by saying complaining, but during the pandemic, when you were working from home, your issue was that the work was always there. So it was easy to be oh, well, I'm just going to do something for a couple of minutes and those minutes turn into hours. Oh, yeah. Because it's like ever present. I think that's how you fall into that trap. It's almost like small practitioners are in a constant pandemic because the work is always around. Yeah. Where you may not have that giant split from office to home. Boy, I'll tell you when I, and I think a lot of architects think about having their own firm at some point in their career. A lot do. Yeah, definitely. Not necessarily all, but you know, it seems like you hear that most of them do. One thing that I always conceded when I thought about, hey, one day I'm going to put up my own shingle and it's going to be Bob Borson architect extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. As I go, there's no way I could work out of my house. There's absolutely oh, no yeah. way. And the irony was, as a young man, my concern was I wouldn't do anything. There's too many distractions. I'd go, well, the TV show's on. I want to watch that. Mm-hmm. And it's hot. I'm going to go jump in the pool for a little bit. <laughs> Well, I'm in a pool, might as well have a beer while yeah. I'm sitting here. I can just kind of relax and I'll get to that stuff later. That was my concern. The reality of it is when I got close to that, all I did was work. I stopped doing everything else but work. And that was a different kind of issue. So I fall into that previous camp of I get distracted really easy. Oh, and then going, I should be working, but oh, look, I'm going to make banana chocolate bread. And yeah. Well, or I'm going <laughs> to clean the house. I'm going to do laundry, whatever, whatever. I mean, all those sort of, yeah. even just basic household chore crap that they're like, well, 
I'm going to do that now because I want to do that instead of doing it at 10 at night. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Rather something nicer about cleaning the kitchen at 2 in the afternoon than there is at 10 at night. Yeah, it's funny you use that as an example because I was thinking when I was working from home during last year at this time. Yeah. I found I'm a chore machine. I can vacuum and clean and scrub with the best of them. Do my own laundry. No, that's an issue. Mm -hmm. And when I was at the house, the amount of work I got done and the amount of chores I did was like profound because I can't sit at my desk. Like today, I get up, like I have the phone and I know what people's extension are and I go, I could just buzz them on the phone. I don't do that. I get up and I walk over there. Walk over there. And I'm constantly on the move. And part of that is resetting my brain a little bit because I can't, I get too caught up and dialed in and I work on too many projects to, I don't work for two hours on one thing ever, ever. It's in Mm -hmm. 15 minute blocks of time at best. Yeah. And so every now and then it's like, I need to turn down the chatter in my head just by getting up and moving. And so during those moments when I was at the house doing the exact same thing, I'd go, 15 minutes, I'm going to go sort the laundry and put a load in. It was great. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next being your own boss category. So being your own boss, pro, you can make more money than being someone else's employee. You know, you're the top of the food chain and the notion that the boss makes all the money while those below get crumbs, there is some truth to that. Yeah. There is some truth to that. A little bit. I won't say that the boss is like swimming in gold Krugerrands while everyone else is like licking crumbs off the floor. I don't see that too often. Yeah. He's not Scrooge McDuck in it. That's right. <laughs> he's not Scrooge McDuck in it. But I will say that the boss gets more money because he's got more exposure. He's got more responsibility. He's got more, he's liable mm-hmm. for more things. So the more exposure and responsibility you have, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that you should be compensated for that. It's not just how many hours you work. It's What's your exposure? Exactly. As you like to say, he's got a skin in the game, but his skin is much bigger than most. Yes. He's got a large portion of his skin in the game. Yeah. And so you get paid more, for sure. You get paid more. But here's the other consideration. I think part of the whole, and this is a hard thing to distill down because the more I think about it, the more pros and cons I can think of every one of these. Because again, we're talking about money again and everything could be the pro and con of being an architect worth money episode. Sure. And part of the pro is as hard as I want to work, the more money I, I can make, right? As a sole proprietor. If I want to do five mm-hmm. jobs and just like really work all the time, I can keep making more and more and more money. The more I work, the more money I make. Yeah. That is a reality. Obviously, there's some cons that go along with that. Yeah, of course. You know, like the destruction of every other aspect of your life. Yeah. You know, like you go on vacation, you're not getting paid while you're on vacation, right? You're paying yourself to go on vacation if you're a sole proprietor. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that resonated with me from a salary standpoint was there's the value that's in the firm. And I used to always think if you're the guy selling the work, like you're pretty valuable. Because from you springs forth all other jobs. Yeah. The guy who sells the work. As valuable as the designer is, they're not the most important person. If they don't have anything to design. Right? I mean, it's got to start with someone else. The sole proprietor has to be the salesman and the designer and the CA department. They got to do all this stuff. So they've got all the responsibilities bearing upon them. But I've never heard in my entire life, at least that I can recall, Anyone who left a firm, a big firm, and then went out on their own, who didn't say they made more money. 
You know what I'm saying? I know I've heard lots yeah. of people where it didn't work out. Yeah, no, I agree. It didn't work out and they went back because like they didn't sell work or they didn't sell enough work or just they couldn't sustain it. But all the people that mm-hmm. had experience at a large firm and then went out on their own as a sole practitioner had success as a sole practitioner who didn't financially do better. I've never heard of an instance where that was not the truth. Have you? No, I don't think I have. I mean, at least not that were successful in their practice. I mean, if they folded up or something, well, that may not be the case. But actually, they probably did make more money while they were in business. Again, I think it's about that risk reward. As being the boss, you're taking all the risk. And so you get more of the reward. So if you're willing to risk killing yourself to do 15 jobs at once, (laughs) you're going to reap the financial reward from that. You're going to reap all the other repercussions from it too. But you can be in charge of how much money you want to make in essence, in a way. Yeah. So if we segue from those obvious pros, which I think they're legitimate pros, Mm -hmm. it's the idea that the con is now you're responsible for your own paycheck. If you don't so work. (laughs) But again, assuming that it goes exactly the way that you want it to go and you experience the success that you were just saying, Mm -hmm. you're as successful as a sole proprietor as you were working in a big office. If you have that success, ultimately you have the responsibility of other people and their paychecks and their livelihood and the pressure that comes with that. Like you care about these people and you're like, you don't want to fire them. You want to lay them off when things get slow. So a lot of times owners take the hit financially in order to not let their younger employee who just bought his first house. You're like, oh, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Or. Or not even a young person, but somebody else who's got a family, right? And you're like, hmm, I really don't want to take that away from you because I'm your source of income that helps your family. Yeah. Maybe not the sole income source, but that's a big impact to cut somebody in half like that. And that's a lot of pressure that I think sometimes people don't really think about when they hop out on their own in the beginning. But for me, that was probably employees in that sort of feeling, right? Because especially in a small firm, it's family. And it's not like they're just some random number employee number 948 that you don't really know about but that was a really the hardest part for me about it when it got to that point you're like ah we, you know i can't find work or i need to find more work because i've got to pay these people because i'm kind of responsible for their lives in a way yeah and that's a lot of pressure it is a lot of pressure and i would say i can't say this about everybody but i can say the three people that i worked for when work got slow i know that they financially took the hit to a greater extent and far earlier than the employees did. Oh, yeah. They say, hey, I normally pay myself 5x what I pay you. They're like, okay, well, now I pay myself 4x and then 3x and then 2x. Mm -hmm. You know, we're extending into the line of credit so that you can still keep your job and pay even though we don't have work. They have to pay that money back. And yeah, so that goes back to the, the idea that when your own boss that kind of responsibility and feelings that you get and the financial responsibilities tied to when you have people that work for you. And if you don't work, you don't make money. And that's true when you got employees. Straightforward stuff. For sure. Even more so. But I I would like to reiterate that, like I work in a big firm now and financially I do better now than I did when I, at my last office when my name was on the door. Yeah. And not by a small amount. It's not a given But I would imagine, had I gone into private practice with myself, because I do sell work, I mean, it was the stress for me. So, you know, I got a lot of people that asked me, hey, Bob, when I left, why didn't I just go out and work for myself? Well, there were two reasons. One is, I don't want to work by myself, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Some of my favorite things about working is working with other people. Yeah. 
I love it. I feed off it. I have friends at the office. It fulfills me. It sustains my creative batteries a lot of times. But the other part was the financial stress of thinking, well, what if I don't sell a project and I have to pay for private school and I have this probably outdated mentality of I have to provide for my family. And my wife and I have talked about this before. She always said, look, if that's something you want to do, we'll make it happen. You can do it. And I was like, I can't handle it. <laughs> like, I, I don't want that stress. Yeah, if even just thinking about the pressure of it is bad for you, you'd never manage it when it's actually real pressure. Yeah. Well, some of it's just kind of, you know yourself. Yeah. The thinking about it didn't keep me up, but knowing that I feel this burden of responsibility and I take it seriously. Now, here's what I could do. I could have gone into a practice with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Even if we said, we're going to practice together and we're 50-50, I could have done that. And that would have worked out great. Yeah. Probably financially, I probably would have done a lot better. But by myself, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Not my makeup. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're a much more social creature than that. I know you. I know. I like small social no, circles. I, know. I, don't, I don't like walking. I don't want to walk into a big room. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are sitting here with Steve Burns, FAIA, Chief Creative Officer at BQE, which is a leading cloud-based software provider to professional service firms worldwide. Hi, Steve. Thank you for joining us today to talk about your flagship product, BQE Core. I wanted to start off because a lot of people that I know, they're familiar with it. But for those who aren't, will you take a minute and tell our listeners in your own words what BQE Core can offer architects that will Let's be honest, the goal is it's going to make our lives easier. It's going to make things better for us. Let's talk about that. So sometimes you don't know what questions to ask to know whether you're doing well. So we provide these portals inside of our software. We call them performance screens. So we have performance for your clients, for your projects, for your employees. We even have performance for your vendors. Maybe you work with three different structural engineers, and you want to know which engineers that you work with are literally returning you the greatest profit margins on the projects. Now, it may not be because their fees are low, or maybe you've just negotiated a really good fee. I don't know what that factor is, but be able to understand how something performs is really what's critical here. Now, sometimes I'll hear people in firms talk about utilization. You know, my employees have a certain utilization rate. That's what they've been told at some conference somewhere is what matters. Yeah, utilization. Yeah. Well, we do track your utilization. We let you know utilization for every employee in real time. But we also tell you that's not an important metric. That's not the most important metric. Their efficiency rate is going to be far more valuable to you. I can find in our data for many firms, employees who are not the most utilized, but are highly efficient and have an efficiency rate that is far superior to the standard utilization rate. Now, that may not be meaningful to you, but when you see the numbers in front of you, that Bob is only 75% utilized, but his efficiency rate may be $250 an hour. They don't understand how that kind of thing happens. But Core is able to analyze that every hour that Bob works associated to a billable project has brought in the equivalent of $250 for every hour of his work. So you focus on utilization as kind of a first step, Let's make sure everybody's got stuff to work on. But just because they're working doesn't mean they're productive. Doesn't mean that they're bringing back revenue. And sometimes it's not their fault. Maybe Bob didn't negotiate the contract. He was told do something and he did it and he spent time on it. And someone else is the one who needs to be accountable for that. But the fact is, if you're not tracking that data, 
you don't even know whether this 95% utilized employee is even worth it in your firm. I think that we could all agree that that's valuable information that we could all use. I'll give you a better thing if you haven't looked at CORE. We tell you what the ideal pay rate is for every employee. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I'm a little nervous. That's cool honestly. and scary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's, it's a particular data point that most firms don't want any individual employee to see about themselves. Maybe share it if they want to share it. But what CORE is really doing is saying, we know the employee's utilization and realization rate. We know their salary. We know the multiple of direct salary expense that gets us to our break-even point. And we know your firm's profit expectations. Maybe I'm interested in a 20% profit margin. Otherwise, as a firm owner, Maybe I'd rather just take my money, put it in some investment vehicle and go sit on a beach. But if I'm going to be staying up all night designing something for my client, I want to get a better return on my dollars. So we know all those factors and we'll tell you based on all that information, the ideal pay rate for Bob Borson is $73.50 an hour. I'd, I'd take it. If you're, if you're being paid $50 an hour. That's fantastic. The firm basically says, I can uh, give Bob a bonus or a pay increase or a combination of the two. But if we pay Bob $100 an hour as a base salary, there's a different discussion that's going to have to happen on that. So we're just looking at the data. We're looking at your expectations. We're looking at the performance of your people and your projects. We put it all together through business intelligence and tell you what everything's really worth to you. That's how, by the way, we knew that that client that they thought was their most important client was truly draining the firm of resources and potential profit because they felt a allegiance to this, this particular. They should have just fired the client is what we told them. Yeah, what I need, when I need it. You know, in the last year and a half or so, I moved over to a big firm. And I look at information now that before I could skim. I mean, I could literally, in my last office, I could stand up and look around the office and figure out most of who's doing what and what they've been working on and what their allocation is and how much time they're spending on things. I could just see that from sitting at my desk. Now I've got three offices scattered across the state. I have over 100 people. And so when we try to figure out who's doing what and what are they doing or are they being utilized efficiently, these are conversations that I have every single Monday. And I hate Mondays. And if I can like streamline the way that I get that information in a way that makes sense to me so that I don't have to go, well, if I take this piece of information and that piece of information and extract what I need to get this, which is what I really want to know, that saves me so much time. And can I tell you, that is my most precious resource is time. So Steve and BQE have given our listeners a really great and exclusive deal. For a limited time, Life of an Architect podcast listeners can get a 20% discount off an annual subscription of Core Architect. Visit www.bqe.com LOAA to take advantage of this exclusive deal on a complete and flexible business platform made for architects by architects that can help manage your business and let you focus on what you love to do the most. We will, of course, put that link in the episode's show notes and you can find it there anytime. Just go to the website and the link will be there waiting for you when you want to start this journey. Steve, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate your time. As always, it's an education talking with you. Oh, thank you very much, Bob and Andrew. I really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you. Yep. Thanks for joining us again. <laughs> As always. Okay, let's go to the next one. Yep. Being your own boss pro. You get to make all the decisions. And let me tell you, that's f***ing huge. <laughs> You know, that's a really, really big one. Yeah, that it's a big deal.
And I think that's probably what drives a lot of people to want to do this. Yeah. Is because they want to be the person that's making decisions about their career and their life. You know, they want to make the decisions and they're not getting to. I think that drives a lot of people to that. 100%. Yes. Because I'll say, as I've expanded into my career into more leadership roles, I've had a hundred more issues with decisions people have made before I've had any issues with money and how it was distributed. Mm-hmm. You know, money is one issue and you kind of know what it is and you can look at it and you can hold it in your hand. It's fine. The decision making, giving someone else the power over you and they make decisions, you go like, that's a stupid decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, or like, that's not a team decision. That's a, you're doing that to benefit yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, despite the fact that I'm not a sole practitioner at the moment, I don't know that I ever will be at this point. That was the dream that I held the most. And in my last office, when I had my name on the door, for the most part, I could do anything I wanted. I could make every decision associated with my projects, my clients, how they were built. I mean, I made all the decisions, but there were a handful that wasn't my call. I didn't get a decision to make it. And I didn't agree with them a lot of times. And if I raise a stink about it, didn't mean anything was going to happen. That bothered me more than anything else. Bothered me more than any kind of money issues that yeah. could have possibly come up. Yeah. I imagine that's what motivates a lot of people to go out on their own. Yeah. In that table flipping moment when they <laughs> finally leave corporate America, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't even know that you know it would be that extreme, but I do think it's that ability to make those decisions or realizing that you're not being able to make those decisions to some extent that really does drive people to say, well, I want to be in charge of all these decisions that I'm not getting to make. Yeah. But I think that leads into this, if I may, leads into the con side of it that yes, then there's all these decisions that you have to make and you have to be responsible for that you probably, yes. you're not thinking about when you're flipping that table. You're just thinking about, yes, I get to do the things I want to do, but you don't realize there's all these other things that you have to do that you probably don't want to do. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree right? with that hundred percent. Yeah. The same thing that is the pro is the con. <laughs> exactly. For this one. For sure. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. And I would imagine that the control has more value to it than the unpleasantness of the other. Some decisions you make, you're like, is an unfortunate decision. I'm eating up over having to make it. But that still pales in the fact that I get to control all these other things. Yeah. I mean, I think so, probably. It depends on, on a lot of, of course, individual personalities. Some people may let those undesirable decisions eat them alive and really start to affect everything. I mean, I've seen that happen a couple of times, but the ability to control outweighs the negativity of the smaller things that you have to take responsibility for and assume control of that maybe before you were lucky enough to just pass the buck to somebody else. Yeah. It wasn't your pay grade. If you had to start thinking about insurance and figuring that out, wouldn't be what you wanted to do, but you'd do it. You'd take it on and it'd be fine, but it would not be your favorite decision to have to keep making every year. Yes. You know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, one of the owners in the office. We're doing a project in Northwest Arkansas right now. And we have a huge army of people, a million consultants. And it's a, parts of it are awesome and parts of it are the worst. So there's two principals in charge, two owners of the firm on this project and me. We're... The Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria. Like, that's what we are. Gotcha. Every now and then we make, one of them will make a comment to someone saying like, you know, hey, we know it's hard that we have these three people at the very top. And like, who do you listen to? Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. You know, to the people who are actually doing the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And he was worried about how are people taking. I go, nobody has a problem with it. Because go look at it this way. Your job is you're saying, 
we're going to Kansas City. That's your job. That's your role here. His role is, we're taking this highway to get to Kansas City. And I go, we're driving a four-wheel drive green car. (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah. so we all have like our responsibilities and the things we own up for, and we're not all making the same decision. Let's keep the car analogy, stay in our lanes. Yeah, everybody stay in their lane. That's what I was about to say. You have big picture. You have slightly smaller focus picture. I have smartly more dialed in, smaller focus picture. But we all own our own decisions. But if we were all trying to make the same decision, it would have been a disaster, right? I mean, it it would be a problem. Yeah. So, yes, pro, you get to make your own decisions. Con, you get to make your own decisions. Your own decisions, (laughs) right. I mean, I think maybe that's, again, that's something that doesn't really pop in everybody's mind when that when it happens, is that there's stuff you're going to have to deal with that you didn't even think of before. Okay. You ready for the next? I'm ready for the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being your own boss, pro, you can now choose the clients and project types you have always wanted to pursue, right? This is really about freedom. For sure. <laughs> it's kind of tied to the, you get to make the own decisions. But part of it is like when you work for yourself, there is no design by committee. You get to draw the line of sand on how things should be done, what they look like. If you're going to go after this type of project or not that type of project, some bigger firms, they might make the decision, well, we got these boutique projects we do that we submit for awards and we promote them heavily and we come across as this cool design firm. Behind the scenes, we do rollout site adapts for this fast food guy and it makes sure that everyone has a job and gets paid their salaries, right? Yeah, or these warehouse companies are giant retail blobs. And Yeah, so when you're for sure sole practitioner, you're like, you know what? I'm only going to do modern new home residential projects. All I'm going to do. Yeah. Because that's my jam. It's what I love. <laughs> passionate about it. Look, you know what I would say? In the office of Bob Borson, architect extraordinaire. Rule number one, no glass block. I would never, (laughs) we would never use glass block. It would never be an issue. I would never walk by and go, what is that? Get that out of there. It wouldn't happen. Because it wouldn't be there ever. No. It's in the company handbook. No. Yes. Yes. It is in the company handbook. You can't use it. So that's a level of control, design control and visioning. Like you get to take your vision for whatever that means to you. Like your vision can be, I want to make more money, right? So I'm going to go after warehouse, tilt wall, construction in bedroom communities. That's my jam. And I'm going to work eight to five. I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to get paid. I'm going to golf on the weekends from my house. And I'm going to crank those things out like nothing. And they're going to pay me. And it's going to be just hand over fist because I do it so well, but it's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. That's my decision. It's my decision to do that. I'm not going to waste time with these other jobs. Or I'm going to do the single family, modern, new home, residential, because that's what I love. That's the thing I love. So that's an awesome pro. Awesome pro. Yeah. It's back to you making your own decisions. That's you calling the shots. Here's the con to that. And it's a big con. Finding that work, that vision, finding the thing that fulfills that vision isn't always easy. In fact, I'd say most of the time, it's not easy when you're a sole practitioner. It's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And it takes a long time to build that thing up. I think sometimes you don't realize that whatever size firm that you're at before and you go out on your own, there was still some kind of machine in place that was getting those jobs and working on getting those jobs and spending a lot of time doing that, just trying to find work. 
And even then, you're in competition with other people for the same work, and it's a difficult task. Well, you put it best when you said just because you can do the work doesn't translate necessarily into getting the work, right? Yeah. And that's a tough realization sometimes. One I still struggled with a lot throughout my entire firm ownership. Because it's great when you have people say that you do a really good job, but that doesn't mean doesn't mean you're going to get more all the time. Yeah, you don't get hired. You're like, you're really good at this. And you're like, well, why don't I have more work then? Yeah, exactly. And they're like, because you're a terrible personality. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that could be true. <laughs> I'm not saying specifically your terrible personality. Yeah, I know. I, I heard you. But yeah. You know, it's funny. We've been talking a lot. Really, it's just been me talking at people in my office a lot <laughs> about this. Selling work. Like I had somebody come up to me the other day and they're talking about selling work and how do you do it? And is there a way? And how do you put together these presentations when you're on job interviews, what that's like? Because they're still pretty young and they haven't had that at bat yet. Like they haven't been brought into the room to stand up in front and say, mm-hmm. I'm here to talk about why you should hire us. Yeah. And I will tell you that the mentality that the small firm guy, me, has as I've evolved is drastically different in some regards from what you see in big firms. So when I first had the responsibility, so this is back in the last office when I had my name on the door, when I first started having to sell work, right, it was on me, I would meet with folks. In my effort to be helpful, I would tell them like, hey, this is the challenge we're going to face, right? But we're going to face it together. This is the problem that we have. Yeah. You know, all I could think of was I'm going to be super helpful. I'm seeing these things that are challenges or they're going to be hard or we can't do this thing. You're like, hey, I want to put a bridge here. And you're like, well, you don't own that property. You know, just like telling things you can't do. You can't do that. You can't do that. And I wasn't getting any work. And I couldn't understand why. I mean, I'm so so helpful. Mm -hmm. I'm taking the time to tell them, hey, look out. There's a bear trap right there. Don't step in that. You should like me for pointing out the bear trap. I just saved your leg. (laughs) Yes, I help you constantly. Why wouldn't you hire me? Yeah. And what it dawned on me after a while is I go, well, you're the no guy. Right. When I say, hey, I want to do this. And I go, well, there's a bear trap right there. So don't do that. But you're welcome, by the way. <laughs> no, that's not how that's perceived. Yeah. It's perceived that you're not on board with the vision, with the goal. And like, I have a dream. And you're like, yeah, but yeah, no, not quite like that. You're the naysayer. You're like, wait, but your dream's got some holes in it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But I also have this profound sense of responsibility as a custodian of not only like people's budgets. But of their dream. Yeah. So I have this, like someone says, I want to build a bridge over that land. And I go, great, we're going to do an amazing bridge, even though I know that they don't own that property and they can't do it. This is not about telling people just what they want to hear so that you can make a sale. That's bad. That's bad karma. Mm. It should be illegal. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> yeah, but it happens a is, lot. It happens yeah, a lot. And I'm not down with that. Yeah. And I don't do that. Yeah. But what I am on board with is that and this is turning into selling architecture one-on-one kind of thing. But what I am on board with is like, and I told someone today, I go, when I talked about doing a project with somebody, I want them to leave that meeting feeling like they just watched a Rocky movie (laughs) and are going to go train to be a boxer. I mean, I want them to be so excited and this is going to be amazing and this is terrific. And, and I go, we need to sell the narrative, the fun, the like, why am I showing you this? It's not because I've done 800 million square feet of class A, it's because those buildings are awesome. That's why I'm showing them to you. Mm-hmm. And we had a blast designing them. And I go, part of this is when you're looking for that work, what type of person are you to get that work? 
that's a different person than the person who might actually be designing the work. And just because you're good at designing it does not necessarily mean that that translates into you selling it. Yeah. Right. Because not everybody can do all those things. Hmm. And I think that, and this is something I think you can speak to far more pointedly than I can, is you can be a really boring residential architect who just kills it and you'll get work. Right. For some reason in that arena, if you do really, really good work, a lot of times you can reach beyond maybe your less than peacocking kind of personality. Right. If you're not the most dynamic individual, but you do really, really good work, mm -hmm. people will want to work with you because they like the product. Yeah. Right. That counts for something. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing commercial work and you're going up against five other people that all say they're doing the same thing, you design competent, well appointed, attractive buildings. Sometimes just saying I'm capable is not enough. Hmm. Yeah. I would say for sure in, in public work as well. I think for me, always one of the most difficult things as far as procuring work was always trying to procure work from a committee. If it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, I usually can manage that pretty well. But when it comes to committees of 10 people in there, you're trying to sell yourself to 10 people. That always got to be more difficult for me because you've got to be a lot more personable, I think. And sometimes I'm not that personable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you get to know me, but like off the bat, I, I've been told I'm not that way, but you might be able to, again, manage that in a smaller context of residential market but as it moves up and you do larger projects or you, you work in a different sphere right? they want to have somebody else but that's a little bit more than competent or at least can sell it that way and sometimes you know they do those things to lies about how competent they are and <laughs> as long as they're charismatic about it they can make it work which is unfortunate but it does happen yeah you would think it eventually that'll come back on you like eventually your reputation for snake oil salesman over-promising and under-delivering, eventually that, that will come back to roost poorly for you. You would think. But it just depends, though, on your market and how big that market sector is that you play. It's not like if I'm doing multifamily residential all over the country that this developer is going to talk to some developer that I worked for on the other side of the country. Anyway, we don't need to get down that hole. <laughs> I know. It's like, hit pause, go have a drink, <laughs> come back. I know, right? Sorry. <laughs> we can cut all that. No, no, no. It, you know, I think that's the part that people really want to hear sometimes is because it's not always rosy. Yeah. And the vision that you hope it is, your best intents don't always measure up in the way that they need to. And I would say maybe even, and it's not on here, but I think it's being the own boss. Your highest highs are completely awesome, but your lowest lows are also completely terrible. You get the whole extreme of those things. Yeah. And you know, for some people, what they want is they want middle, mm -hmm. right? They just want middle. Yeah. Let their family be the high and the low. Make my job just be the middle. Yeah. You know what? And I can appreciate that. Yeah, I know. I'm there are times where I like that as well, right? Yeah. Okay. We got one more being your own boss pro con. And this one is really at the end because it's the most kind of fungible out of all the ones that we've put on the list. I'm not even sure how to describe it really. It's more like an idea, but it has to do with being your own boss, being a sole practitioner. It's now your vision. Like you can implement all the design ideas like we just got through talking about all the concepts that you've always dreamed about and that you've been working towards your entire career. You own everything, vision, direction. You can choose what pound paper you use for your letter. <laughs> You're right. Implementation. Everything. Yeah, all of it. You can put MacBook on your computer instead of going PC. Like it's all, all on you. And you know what? 
I can't tell you how many times I've designed a logo for my office that I've never opened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I would look at anybody who considered themselves a creative person in an architectural environment who has not done the exact same thing. Oh, I'm sure. I challenge you. I challenge you to say, I'm super creative and I've never, ever designed a logo for my own office, Mm -hmm. right? I don't believe you. I don't believe that's happened. That would be almost just like saying I've never designed my own house because, I mean, I've done that like 50 times as an architect, so. You know what? I, I actually never have designed my own house. Really? Never have. I've started. Just fake designed it, right? Like just, yeah, no, this is it. Oh, I'm, really? Interesting. I've never done that. Huh. Which is crazy because I've thought about it a lot. Yeah. Like I've designed it a few times in my head. Does that count? Yes. But never. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah, yeah. Yes, I've done that. I thought how. It'd be a compound, right? <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should do a post about designing your own house. Maybe we should. Which neither of us have done, so that'd be a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there you go. The visioning, the execution for like all of it. You're in charge of your destiny, essentially, is what that is. It's all on you to do whatever you want and create your own sort of path. Yes, and that's kind of the equal sign of the, all the other pros that we've listed so far in this episode. Mm-hmm. But the con of that is that you probably spend way less time designing yeah. than you think you're going to as the creative type that is going to go out and open your own design firm. Yeah. The practical realities of running an office and a practice, you know, the amount of time you're going to dedicate to the administrative side is profound. You just don't know until you start to do it. Yeah. I like to say that you can spend as much time as you want on design. But you're foregoing other aspects of your life to spend more time on design. Because mm-hmm. doing bills and setting up insurance and paying rent and making sure you have coffee in the coffee, you know, yeah, all, like all the kind of just yep. all that junk going to buy manila folders at Office Depot. <laughs> yeah. Making sure you got pins and yeah. Yes. How am I going to store my magazines in these cool racks that I got to go buy? <laughs> All that stuff, right, is taking away from the creative, like I sit down at a desk with a computer and a mouse or a pencil and a piece of paper and create and design and be that person that I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And the con is not that those things exist. The con is that it's disproportionate to what almost every person believes it will be. Yeah, for sure. Everybody knows that's going to come. It took me a while to actually realize that, right? And once my firm got up up to, you know, eight or 10 people, then that was... 90% 90% of my time was doing office stuff, business operations and all those kinds of things. And maybe I'd get lucky if I could spend 10% of my time on doing design work because we weren't quite big enough that I could have someone in the office to be an office manager type person. It was kind of me that had to do all those things and take the responsibility for all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've listed, I think that's five pro cons. And we ended with the overarching, here's the equal sign, which is the visioning, like the whole picture and the pro of what all the design and cool and stuff you get to do. And the con being it's disproportionate to the belief of what you think it's going to actually be. Yeah. Is it a pro or is it a con to be a sole practitioner? Go. What's your answer? Uh, To me, man, you know what's funny is nowadays I think I might be leaning more towards con than I was when I was younger. I think age has taught me that I might not want to do that again. Yeah, you're beaten down, I think, is what it is. <laughs> I think the, the pandemic and the slowing down of work and all that stuff just kind of yeah. makes you go, you know what? This was hard, and I, I feel like I'm less than I was now that I've come through it. Yeah, maybe. 
But at the same time, there's a part of me that wants to do it again so that I can <laughs> yes. build back up and prove myself. So it's really a hard thing for me, to be quite honest. Yeah. I oscillate back and forth because when it was high, man, it was high. When I was, business was good and I was making money and I was having fun and it was great. Some of the best times ever <laughs> that then sort of rolled into kind of some of the worst <laughs> ever. Yeah. You know, I think you're like the perfect example of this whole thing because you, you got the high highs and the low lows and there's a process that, and I know a lot of people, so this is not specific to you. In fact, I'm going to say it's not you, but it's chewed up so many people and spit them out that it fundamentally changes how they perceive the entire process working. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that I never saw myself going to a large firm. It's because I envisioned myself a, a particular way, but I had a couple bad experiences and I go, you know what? This is what I like the most. Can I get somewhere where I can just do the things that I like? And I can stop futzing with the things that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to my good buddy, Andrew Bennett, who's one of the owners here, and he basically was like, you come here and you tell us what you want to do. And then you go do that. Yeah. And I was like, really? And they're like, yes. I'm still looking for that. <laughs> yeah. So, and the weird thing is, is because I am who I am, I fret about it constantly. I fret about not being not delivering the value, not doing what I need to do. I work, I'm up here all the time and Mm -hmm. it's constantly, what can I do better? How can I get better? Where can I provide value? Constantly to live up to that, you just do what you want to do aspect of it. But on the flip side, I love coming to work. Yeah. I don't have that. I mean, I'm tired. (laughs) I am tired. I work a lot. (laughs) Well, but I think everybody's tired right now for sure. But yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, and it's, there's an adjustment to that. And, and there's some things I gave up. I went to him. I said, I want to open a residential studio. And they're like, uh, do it. Like, duh. Why didn't you do that a year ago? <laughs> so once I started it, man, we started getting houses coming in like crazy. And I go, I don't know what it is. And these are people coming in for me, for my channels, not people calling Boca Pal and saying, hey, do you do houses? And they go, yeah, we got a guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are projects that I would have gotten if I was working out of my house by myself as Bob Borson architect. Extraordinary. <laughs> That's what these yeah. are. So I have a pretty good idea of how I could be spending my time right now if I was in sole practice for myself. I know what the fees are because I set them. <laughs> I know how much time it takes, right? Because I manage all those projects. I mean, I know what it mm-hmm. is. I know that I could go out and safely open an office that probably had two or three people in it tomorrow if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I don't want to because I don't deal with billing anymore. I don't deal with HR. I don't deal with so many things that I go, I get to design, I get to talk, I get to collaborate, I get to teach. I can't tell you how much I love the teaching aspect of my job now. I happily give up design responsibility to younger people for the moment to teach them about how they would design the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. I don't go, here's the design, you go do it. I sit down and they design it and I critique it and I work them through the process and I go, what about this? And did you think of that? And then ultimately, through my terrible micromanaging, they get to where I want it to be. <laughs> and the, the skill set to that is to step back enough to where they still feel like it was collaborative. You hope they do. <laughs> I ask 10 times a day. I know. I'm just giving you grief. I make sure. Hey, it's a legit concern. You're not unfair for asking that question, but but it's one of the things that I, I love so much. I love the fact I got all these direct reports. 
I get to teach them. I get to sit down at their desk and sketch out things and talk through them and go, well, what would yeah. you do about this? What would you do about that? And hey, make sure you offset this six inches because when you put your door trim on, blah, 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 it's going to happen. And I get to teach them all those things and I love it. Mm -hmm. So despite yeah. the fact that I feel overworked, I love coming in the office. So to me, con, it's being your own boss. Yeah. But I did just describe the fact that they go, do whatever you want. That's <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, my own boss in a big firm. How does that work? I don't know. I seem to be pulling yeah. it off a little bit. Maybe so. I'm just saying that because they listen to the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't listen. Okay. All right. Look, so you said con, but kind of pro. Maybe con, but maybe pro. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I say pro. I go, look, there's lots of pros. It's just, is it right for you? Turns yeah. out I thought it was right for me. And in the end, maybe not so much because I'm super happy now, not as a sole practitioner. Mm -hmm. That wraps up the professional portion of today's episode. And it's now time to move on to this episode's Would You Rather question, which I have not thought about. <laughs> I only told Andrew what it was, like right when we hit record. So neither one of us has really thought this through. We had two, and we chose the more ridiculous of the two, I would say. You ready for this? I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. I mean, I don't know the answer because they're both terrible. So here it is. Would you rather, you have to do this, by the way, it's either or. Would you rather wear a metallic silver unitard or a pirate costume? Like every time you go out socially. Right. Would you rather wear the unitard or the pirate costume? This is not to work, but it's any time you leave the house other than work, right? Yeah, because if we said like 100%, like you wake up and you either put on the silver unitard or the pirate costume, you're not keeping your job. Yeah. Right? Unless it's as a future man or a pirate. Yeah, there have to be some money element to it. Yes. So we're like, there's still some challenges because you go to the office and then everyone goes, all right, great job, everybody. We're going to go to the bar. And you're like, hold on. <laughs> I got to go put on my unitard. If it's a unitard, I'd just be wearing it under my clothes all the time, like Superman. Maybe it's just under your clothes. Or I got to put on my pirate suit. I'd probably lose a lot of weight because it'd be sweating all the time. I know. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like swampy. Oh, it's terrible. But my choice is pirate. Really? Yeah, 100% pirate. I think, yeah, I think mine has to be pirate too. And you know why? So there's a comedian, you know, he has a bit where he's talking about those Under Armour shirts or whatever. And he goes, they should just like you go to the plastic surgeon, they just make you put on that shirt and they go, well, I think you can see the areas that we're going to be focusing on. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm wearing a unitard, like everything that's gross is right there. Mm -hmm. I you feel know? like it's amplified. Yes. I need. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'd almost, I'd rather be naked first and have one of those things on to be quite honest. <laughs> Yeah, the unitard would be so horrible. Everything about it is horrible. Mm -hmm. And I go, can you imagine walking into a bar? If you're wearing a unitard. In the unitard? Either. Oh. Right? If you walk in as a pirate, they're like, like, what's that guy up to? You walk in a unitard, they might say, bro, we're not that kind of bar. You know, like, you might not get in. Yeah. I feel like if I walk into a bar as a pirate, though, man, it's like, Captain Morgan's, and I'm like, hey, Captain, and I'm just rolling all the time. I just did a fall into it, and I'm only drinking rum then for the rest of my existence. Does the pirate, co I said pirate costume, right? So does that include eye patch? Does it include fake parrot on your shoulder? 
Does it include fake hook? I don't know. That was going to be my question. I said costume. So I'm... I mean, I don't know. All in. Fake parrot. Oh. Hat with the big feather in it. Well, yeah, that's a given, I think. Parrot on the shoulder. Mm. You know, the little cup that goes over your hand where you hold the hook? Yeah, I wouldn't go that far because that's not necessarily pirate. That's Captain Hook. <laughs> that's what people think of when they think of pirate. Maybe. I feel like maybe nowadays people may more think of like Captain Jack, Jack Sparrow kind of thing for a pirate. And I'd dress like that all the time. It'd be fine. So does that mean you have to go put on like eye makeup every time you yeah, go out? I'd be fine. Sure. Oh, see, that thing just took a turn. I don't know if I could put on uh, eye makeup. I'd be okay with that. I'd do that before I'd wear the fake hook and the <laughs> parrot on my shoulder. <laughs> no way. I'd, I'd fake. I'd put two parrots on my shoulder before. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, no, I'd put on eyeliner and mm. be all smoky. It'd be fine. That'd probably look pretty good on me. I don't. <laughs> all right. I'm going to give you that one because I don't want to think about it. <laughs> okay. So that was an easy one. No unitard. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. You know what? And what makes it worse is that it was metallic, like shiny. Oh, yeah, for sure. Way worse. I feel like that might show when you started sweating even more. So things would even get sort of shinier. So just that's an all around terrible, terrible, terrible idea. I didn't even think about the sweating aspect of it. I just think of the like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> right? I know. It's like, it's <laughs> all right. terrible. Pirate costume. Yeah. You know what? If you're a person, you know, the guy that sits in front of me, Brandon. He would totally go unitard. You know what? He pulled off. Yeah. People go like, wow, you look like an Olympic bobsledder. That's what they would think of when they saw him. Yeah. And me, they're like, well, you don't have any bones in your body. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, for me, they would say, wow, you look like an Olympic bobsled. <laughs> Brandon's going to like push you down the track and jump on your back. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, or they're going to say, oh, my God, there's water coming under the door. Lay down in front of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Pirate costume, definitely the winner. For sure. I was going to say, I, I mean, I've got some pictures of me as a pirate. I went to a costume party a while back as a pirate in my youth. So I've got all the stuff to do it. If I had to do it tomorrow, I would be set. Oh, okay. Well, you got to do it. <laughs> you got to put on the eye makeup, take a photo, do a selfie with the pirate costume on. Because yeah. we need graphics for the post, right? So I don't know if it fits anymore. <laughs> well, that's the whole issue with the unitard. It doesn't matter if it fits or not. Yeah. It's terrible. Ooh. Okay, exactly. gross. There you go. Let's wrap up on that amazing show. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the other more valuable part of this conversation of episode 73, Being Your Own Boss. Special thanks to our sponsor, BQE Core Architect, cloud-based software for time and expense tracking, billing, and accounting. Visit bqe.com slash L-O-A-A and try Core Architect. We would also like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you liked today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe button so you can get perfectly seared new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star, I do what I want, rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this wonderful episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>